a seat, church, just for a moment. Just take a seat with the lights down. And I, I, I lost count how many times we sang, You Are More Than Able. But I find myself, even as the music stops, the beautiful soul felt music. And the truth of those words start to fade. They fade to a place where I say, Lord, it's me. Say it again. Tell me again that you are the sovereign Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. By your strong arm and outstretched hand, nothing is too difficult for you. Ezekiel understood that. And Job, after the most horrific human experience recorded, sat quietly before you, God. And he says, now I know you can do all things. And no plan, because you have all the power, can be thwarted. You take the thing that you're waiting for. We were asked about miracles that we want, that we need. Some of you are living in that moment where it needs to come soon. To call you desperate or dire is not extreme. Would you take that and put it in front of him? And no one's going to watch you do it, but just put your hands as though you're saying, here it is, Jesus. Here are the people I'm thinking about. Here's my problem that I know too well. When you hear it in my voice, maybe you're saying that this morning, Lord, I'm not saying it out loud like Pastor Steve, but I'm, I'm, my voice would crack. I would not make it through. say it all the time, you're the Lord of this church, you're the head, you're the, the one we bow before. But way more personal than that, you want to be the Lord of our hearts and our lives and what's in our hands right now. So Lord, even if the storm doesn't dissipate, strengthen the heart people like me who are in the storm. And that goes for all the people praying to you right now. In the one that is able, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. Thank you to everybody. Um, what a great and true and powerful song. Um, I almost feel a little bit like some of you listen to my playlist in my car because uh, that's it's been a song that's been part of uh, my survival. And um, today wasn't the day to tell you this um, because Brett did such a beautiful job of describing um, 30 years. But uh, the truth is, the, uh, the storms that come and threaten us. Uh, and 
just mean us as the McCrackens or me as a pastor. I mean us as Jesus people. I mean every single one of us. Some of you are climbing huge mountains right now. And I love you in that. I, I, I want so badly for Jesus to just walk into this room and say, can I, can I sit next to you this week? Can you make room for me? Because he wants to. And here's the good news. The Holy Spirit is very present and touchable. So don't make this a moment that, that leaves us. But make it your moment that stays in. And it becomes that cornerstone that we sang about at the beginning. And a stone is solid. It's a rock. And um, it's, it's the one that we take shelter in. Amen. It's Jesus. I um, uh, I just I want to say this because um, there's no no one that matters more to my longevity in ministry than um, the one that um, took my name my last name 40 years ago and has been by my side the entire way and um, so everything you said Brett I thought of it. But my Debbie, you know, and uh, there it is. Um, I just, I want, I want you all to know that. Um, and I'm not going to say something cute like behind every great man is a greater woman or whatever it's, the saying goes. I just believe that I would not have lasted and uh, endured all that goes with 30 years here and 13 years before here. And I've had Debbie with me the whole way. And so I love you. And thank you, Debbie. Yeah, that's sweet. So let's bow our heads and go home, everybody. Uh, that pretty much covers it. But, uh, <clears throat> so uh, I have a name I want to throw out. Uh, maybe a few of you have heard this woman's name, but if you have, um, Keep it to yourself until I tell you details. Uh, her name's Jessica Watson, and she, if you were Australian, you would say right away, oh, I know her. I, she's a national hero. Um, she's a person that lives in Australia, in um, Melbourne, actually, and she is now 30 years old. Um, but she was awarded the Order of Australia uh, Medal which to us, it's uh, probably the Medal of Freedom in America, like the big thing where the president, you know, is involved in uh, acknowledging that. Um, she's awarded this Order of Australia Medal because she was the first to sail the world solo and unassisted uh, at age 16. Um, her achievement resulted in her induction to the uh, Australian Sailing Hall of Fame in 2022, so just recently. Uh, but her story was made into a must-see movie, uh, and, and I say that because we saw it, and we want to see it again. I, I rarely do that. I know what's coming, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but this is a keeper, and it's called True Spirit. If you want to write down uh, a title that's worth getting.
getting. Debbie and I saw it, and we were absolutely spellbound. Part of that is because we remember, um, we remember actually being there and being in the Sydney Harbor and uh, in front of the Sydney Opera House, and most of you can imagine that from images you've seen, only on the day that she finished her circumnavigation of the planet on the, on the waters of this earth, she came into that harbor to, I'm going to guess millions, it was hundreds of thousands of folks that just, you couldn't see surface that they were standing on. It was just body-to-body people, and people uh, understandably in rapt attention to her achievement. Um, which has me um, thinking. There's something, I think, about voyages at sea uh, that, that can, I think, capture our imagination. I mean, it surely it might be something like the Jessica story. And um, it's on, an, on display permanently in a museum, actually. Uh, I think it was called the Pink Lady, or it had pink in the name. The, the, the sailboat that she... Uh, made her way around the world in. So it's that big a deal. Maybe that kind of captures your attention. You, uh, anybody in this room have, has either seen another movie or read the book or knows something about the unsinkable Titanic. And um, I don't know, maybe some of you wrote on it. I don't, I don't know if that's true exactly. Probably not. But uh, Or maybe it's something silly like Gilligan's Island. <laughs> Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a... See, I caught you singing, you guys. Tale of a faithful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. And then you hear about the mate. And then this, the weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be... Everybody now... The minnow would be lost. Look at you guys go. Man, that's a, car, that's a classic. It has nothing to do with church, but it was a classic. Um, Debbie and I have taken two cruises in our lives. Uh, the first, the second year, I think we were married in the Caribbean. And then many, many years later in Mexico. And both of them were absolute luxury liners as all cruise ships are. How many of you have taken a cruise? Look at you. How many are about to take a cruise? Oh, my wife just, honey, where are we going? (laughs) There's liable to be some kind of conversation after church. You know, honey, the things you said about me today, say there's a a ship that's leaving. But next to her was another hand that went up. Carrie Ann is leaving this week. Yeah, uh, three hours. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, but both of those cruises that we've been on, just two, some people do it a lot, they were elegant trips. And, and both featured food that was extraordinary and constant. It was fabulous food. Uh, ports of call come to mind. They were they, where you pull in and dock for a while, maybe all day or over of something like that, usually during the day, and they were full of adventure. Um, I remember in Mexico, the zip line uh, tour we took in a can from him, 
in there. It was just fantastic stuff. Um, but in no sense did we ever worry about being lost at sea. Never once. Uh, and nor were we laying awake at night wondering if somehow we would be uh, hit by a tsunami. These, these, these trips, and I'm sure most cruise ships, are pampered living at its best. My Bible's open to Acts 27. And in contrast, the Apostle Paul's voyage from Caesarea on the shore of Israel, the western shore, looking out across the Mediterranean Sea, actually, um, was in every way other than what I've just described a cruise ship to be. It was a nightmare on the high seas. So the story goes this way. After a wait of more than two years, Paul's trial before Governor uh, Festus and then King Agrippa had been referred to the emperor in Rome. You, you remember that at the end of chapter uh, 26 where they're conferring after a hearing and the conclusion Agrippa says to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. In other words, had he not insisted that he go and have his case heard 1,800 miles west of where he stood in, in Rome. So um, chapter 27 then opens with a uh, detail of the 1,800-mile voyage, which, by the way, ended 650 miles or so short at the end of chapter 27. We'll have to go to chapter 28 to finish the voyage, if you will. Um, now, as we prepare to take on chapter 27, I want you to notice something. I've never done this in the pulpit, uh, but I'll give you a caveat when I have you do it. Would you look at your Bible? And I think it's true on apps as well. You can see it on almost every Bible. We'll include four words as a kind of a heading, if you will, a subheading. Paul sails for Rome. Okay? So Paul sails for Rome. That's simple. It's straightforward. If you know the context, you know Paul. What I just said is in Caesarea, and he's about to leave. There is no road. There is a far roundabout way. He's going to sail, as those four words say, for Rome. Um, but to the uninformed, there is nothing. As you read that subheading, by the way, that is not inspired. It's just an editor uh, stating the obvious. That's what chapter 27 is about. Uh, you have no preparation, though. You can hear it in my tone change right now. To prepare you for the exhausting SOS. Do you know what SOS stands for? <laughs> Something about single is what I heard. It's, it's actually not. It's save our souls in nautical terms. Okay, so SOS is uh, laced throughout chapter 27. So let's read it and, and then talk about a couple of takeaways. We begin verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, 
Paul and some of the other prisoners were handed over to a centurion military man named Julius who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship for Adramatum about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. Asia is north of here and west of there, and it's, um, it, it hugs the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea. And we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. Verse 3. The next day we landed at Sidon, and some of you already have your map out. My apologies, this would have been a great morning to have a map and have it moving and all, but I don't. So trust me, we're making our way north and then west, and, well, let's just say terror unfolds. They head for, uh, they land in Sidon, which is about 70 miles north of where they left in Caesarea. Are we there yet? No. <laughs> Uh, because in kindness to Paul, Julius, this military man, allowed him to get off the boat and go to friends so they might provide for his needs. We've got a voyage ahead. Usually it's a two-week voyage. Today it won't be. But we have a voyage ahead, and I need supplies. They don't feed you as they do on cruise ships in this particular case. From there we went out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus. The leeward side is the is the wind-blocked side. So the wind was coming from the north, and we are, we are on the, the northern side of Cyprus, which is an island, and south of Asia. That's where you can find yourself in a map. Because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. We, we were in Lycia a long time ago in this series. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship and sailed for in, sailing for Italy and put us on board. So there was a connecting flight if we were talking about airplanes and airports. Verse 7, we made slow headway for many days, and look at how the tone starts to change. And we had difficulty arriving at Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we had a big windstorm. The trees in our yard all are naked today because of that. All their leaves were fell. We get wind. This was a wind that was so powerful they could not hold their course. So we sailed to the lee of Crete opposite Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost. You can tell they're behind schedule. And sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which is in early October. So Paul warned them, verse 10, this is key. Men, I, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo, and this gets everybody's attention and to our own lives as well. But the centurion, this is the military man, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and owner of the ship. They did have an opinion. It is their boat. Since the harbor was unsuitable in winter, in the, the majority, rather to winter in, the majority decided we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. 
this was a harbor in Crete, an interesting way of saying it faced due east at the tip of Crete, which is the second island. Due east, meaning it was facing both southwest and northwest. Okay, so that's, that's the scene here. So when a gentle south wind began to blow, which was a change in wind direction, they saw their opportunity, and they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, however, a wind of hurricane force called the Northwest Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of the small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it up on board. Then we passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground and the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. I just have to stop and say, I would, I would, everything in me wants to know how you secure a boat, a ship, by going under it, except swimmers have to do that. So imagine, we're not told, but I'm sure there were no volunteers, and uh, more than likely, some were lost. Um, we took, verse 18, such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw cargo overboard to make it more ballast, to lift it up. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. I'm sure right here I want to insert, and they also threw up through the day because it's a bad storm, right? Verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. No, we're not describing Oregon's. And the storm continued, key word here, raging. We finally gave up. We were certain we would die. That's what the rest of the verse means. We gave up hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. You can't hear the laughter because they probably weren't in a laughing mood, but that was an absurd statement to these seasoned sailors. You're not going to be lost, not one of you. Only this ship will be destroyed. Last night, he tells why he knows so much. Last night, an angel of the Lord, of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, he stood beside me and he said this. My Bible has a quotation there. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial in Rome before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all of those sailing with you. What a power, what an incredible grace statement. So keep up your courage, men. The quote, by the way, ended at verse 24. Keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God, and it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some islands. 
Let me stop for a second. That's a lot. I mean, from four words, Paul sails for Rome. Who would have thought? Some smooth sailing for a while, some light chop, stronger breeze. If I had spent time on, uh, on the high seas, or any of us had, we would have understood that, hey, the, the winds are changing, the, the uh, skies are, are darkening, um, the swells are increasing. We would get it all. We would see it all. Uh, I'm tempted to tell you a funny story about my, my one-time sailing a little dinghy in the San Francisco Bay, and we, we weren't, we were kids. We went out in a dinghy, my brother, and myself, and my, my friend, Ricky Evans. His dad was a, was a man that owned a, a, a marina, a sailboat marina. They built one in their garage, and that's the, sh- the ship we took. And um, we didn't get maybe several hundred yards from shore, and the the swells grew and the winds blew, and um, unexpectedly the mast broke in half. And my brother and I are just howling. We are laughing so stinking hard because we knew how to swim. <laughs> but Ricky Evans, he knew how to swim, but he also knew he couldn't swim far enough or fast enough from his dad. When his dad finds out, we took the boat out. And um, sure, sure enough, it sank, and we, uh, and not not clear down to the bottom of the bay. It just was underwater completely. There was no evidence of a boat, and just, and we hear this, and I'm thinking, Did, you know, what is that? What is that sound? I look up, and it's the, it's the Coast Guard cutter coming to us, and they drag us in the boat, and I just, I told you I wouldn't tell you, but that's a very funny memory of mine. And and I'm um, he drags us on there and and their their lecture was noteworthy and memorable. But what are you guys thinking? And Ricky is just crying his eyes out, thinking I'm dead. That's what I'm thinking because my dad's going to say, "Where's the boat?" And we don't have a good answer. But anyway, um, there was no laughter. There was no comic relief. Um, this was one that takes the oxygen out of the air and um, the weather verse 10 worsens northeaster is an awful thing I did some research Um, we have nor'easter that's an American term for storms on the east coast Uh, this is a northeaster think hurricane think a very high number hurricane and it was was a great threat to the 200, we're told, 276 souls on board. Um, and the mood, mood changes, that's why I took the time to read it and call your attention to it in verse 20. It changes significantly uh, when the men, really, truly, it became dire. The, the, the terror set in, we are going to die, was the sentiment on these I remind you again, seasoned sailors. And then Paul stands up, and he, and he says what he did in a very commanding and calming way. 
We're going to make it. He says it twice. Be courageous. In the middle, do not fear. We're going to make it. Be courageous. And I don't know what their reaction was, but um, I'm not sure I would have bought it. Um, when we're living a nightmare and there is, there's a reassuring development, like, like Paul's words were an attempt at that, most of us begin, at least for a moment, to breathe a sigh of relief, don't we? It's like, this is not going to turn out well. This is going down. We are going down. This will not, we will not live if you have time enough to think that out. And, um, and, and then verse 24 and 5, we just read, you know, that there's, there's hope. You mean we're going to make it? And um, honestly... Honestly, I I think it's possible to miss the words of verse 26. We must run aground on some island. You have this moment. Here it is. Even though we hear reassuring words from this happens in life today from God. We'll open the Bible at some panic moment in our lives. And we hear reassuring. We read reassuring words that God has to say, like, you're going to make it. You, you, you'll see your way through this. Be courageous. Do not fear. Those kinds of reassuring words. Most frequent command in the Bible, fear not. God knows something about humans. Some things you don't have to guess why they would fear. Some of us nibble our nails and we pace the floor and we sigh and we sweat and we, we're not sure about big and, and little, in some cases imagined things, but they're real to the person going through them. And we can hear words from God, and, and maybe even from godly people, like reliable people who actually listen to God and walk with God. But let me say this gently. We can have all of that, but listen to me. Shipwrecks still happen. They do. In fact, the hardest part of the voyage is now. Verse 27. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic. I don't know at what point the passengers just go, we're hosed. Kiss it off. We're gone. I don't know. 14 more nights. About midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took soundings to drop a measurement down. Found the waters 120 feet deep. Short time later, they took them again, and it's 90 feet. That's 25% less. You do the trajectory, and you realize, verse 29, that we might be dashed against the rock. So they dropped four anchors from the stern, the back of the boat, and, pr and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, notice who jumps in. They, they hadn't jumped yet. They had lowered the lifeboat. They lower the lifeboat into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. They knew they'd be stopped. These sailors, Paul catches them, calls attention to it. Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Remember what he was told? So the sailors cut the ropes and let the lifeboats drift away. 
Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. Remember, they'd been praying for daylight. For the last 14 days, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You don't eat in times like this. You haven't eaten a thing. So now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of 270 so uh, number people. And then he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged and all of them ate food themselves. All together, 276 of them on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the, the rest of the food, the grain, into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach. When they decided to run the ship aground, where they decided to run the ship aground if they could, cutting loose the anchors now, they, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind. It's all the way up. And made for the beach. Verse 41, but the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast. That's the front. It went straight into the sandbar. And the stern by that time was now in direct hit, direct line of all these crashing waves into this island. And, and it quickly took its toll, breaking to pieces the ship in the surf. The soldiers planned to kill everyone because they would die if anyone got away. So to prevent them from doing that, uh, from swimming away and escaping, uh, but a centurion, centurion wanted, I, think, I believe it's Julius, he wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard and swim. The rest were to get on planks or other pieces of ship. And in this way, look how it is. Everyone landed safely. I um, there's four words that end this. Four words that started it, four that ended it. Four that ended it are actually inspired words from God. In this, everyone reached land safely. Everyone reached land safely. would have never sailed again. <laughs> I mean, I, I would, uh, I'll bet uh, 276 of the rest of the people on board would say the exact same thing. This is crazy. But not Paul and his entourage because they, in fact, wintered there wisely and three months later they picked up tatters. They sailed on. Um, a three-hour tour, huh? Man, so many implications. I, I know, I know you're making them. You're, you've made them as we pass by them. Um, in this, in this second to the last chapter of our over year-long study in step with the Spirit. But I want to tell you about two quickly as I end. Two that 
are, I'm calling them takeaways for me. They may be very similar to yours. And if they're not, if you have other takeaways, would you please bless me and write me and tell me yours? Because I think the Holy Spirit speaks in lots of different ways to, to all of us. So if there's something else in this story and you're going, wow, that was the moment, verse so-and-so, let me know. Um, I have many more, but the two I want to mention, the first one is this. Sometimes our plans don't work out as we wish, comma. Sometimes, I could almost modify that and say much of the time, our plans don't work out according to schedule, as we wish, according to plan. Before I go on and finish my sentence, raise your hand if that describes you like a hundred times this week. I mean, really, not big things necessarily, but enough stuff to make you go, why do I even plan? Here's, my, here's the finish. Sometimes our plans don't work out as we'd wish, but they end up working out anyway for our good and for God's glory. But they do work out anyway for my good and God's glory. Incredible. More than two years had passed, yet Paul still wasn't in Rome. I remember way back a while ago, they were clear back in Chapter 24, verse 20, two years had passed. He's still in jail. You're kidding me. Um, this imagery by a mentor of mine, Chuck Swindoll, was most helpful to me. And I want you to hear it. He writes, imagine yourself traveling back in time to stand on the deck of this ship as one of the passengers knowing the end of the story as you now know how would your behavior differ from those on board the others we've read about the unpleasant conditions would affect you no less and the wind and the rain would chill you just the same. But anxiety would have no effect on your outlook. So it is with your circumstances now. Now listen, he adds, struggles and difficulties will always be a part of life. This side of the grave and your life in this realm, will someday end. I was at a memorial yesterday that confirmed that. But we have been assured of God's presence in the person of the Holy Spirit within us. He finishes, and he has promised to save all who trust in him 
Furthermore, every experience, pleasure cruises or shipwrecks, will be used for his glory. Now, everybody said, amen. second takeaway sometimes Jesus calms the storms and sometimes he chooses to calm us as the stubborn storm continues I love those you see them by swimming pools in different places where people swim and sometimes get in trouble, the life rings. I wish that was part of the story. At every point, the life ring. The storm raged. The fact is clear in viewing Paul's voyage to Rome. Sometimes Jesus calms our storms. That's true. But sometimes he calms us as the storm continues. Am I describing you or somebody you know right now? Yeah, okay, thank you. The storm never relented. Um, take courage. need to hear that when the storm continues. Let's bow our heads this morning. We have a final song as we do each week. Um, Christian, it's time to claim truth that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord Romans 8 verse 39 tells us that not even a terrible northeaster or hurricane a relentless unabated storm um, but I have to ask you a question I said Christian because that's the essential for that to be true. Are you a Christian? And I, I just I don't, I don't want to leave you hanging with a question. If you're not, and only you know that, then you can become one right now. Single verse. The Bible doesn't condition it at all. It simply says whoever. Whoever, every one of us, me, you, here in the house, someplace else, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, help me, Jesus. Let's put it in nautical terms. Save me, Jesus. I'm sinking. You'll be saved. Whoever. You must trust in Jesus Christ. There is no other life ring to be thrown. It's trusting in the one that says, I've got you. Take courage. 
Don't lose faith. Here's some more courage. Today's truth in our study of the second to the last chapter um, is captured by the words of the song we're going to sing. It's really beautiful. And when the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid because I know that you love me. Your love never fails. The wind is strong and the waters are deep, but I'm not alone here in the open seas because your love never fails. Let's stand together and be led in song and make this a song of a statement from your heart. If you're not sure about his love, we can talk about that. It won't happen right in this moment, but we can talk about it. Would you stand with us? And lead us, worship team, as we wrap up our.